Hey guys, how's it going? I'm Mel from Mel Did It Herself, and I'm a social service worker turned furniture refinisher, DIYer, small business owner, and content creator. I've learned everything I know about these industries thanks to people who shared their knowledge on the internet, so I'm paying it forward by bringing you my tips, lessons learned, and sharing my journey in this space with you. So thank you so much for being here, being curious, and being a lifelong learner like me. Let's hop into it. Welcome, welcome, welcome. How's everyone doing? I hope you are well. And I've mentioned before that I want this podcast to be able to appeal to a bunch of different people. So those who have never refinished a piece of furniture before, to those that do furniture refinishing as a hobby, to those who have a full-blown furniture refinishing business. So you might start to notice a bit of a pattern because I'm trying to switch it up week to week by having an episode that's more higher level or for those who are new to refinishing. And then the next one is more focused around the business of furniture refinishing itself. But that being said, the information in this episode is about things that I'm glad I started from the beginning of my furniture refinishing business. But I do think that there are a lot of these tips that are really easily transferable, not only to other types of businesses and services, but also just in life. Whether you're trying to work towards a certain goal, like uh, something like eating healthier or losing weight, or even maybe for your nine to five job, depending on what you do. So I hope you'll stick around as I go through these five things I'm so glad that I started at the beginning of my furniture refinishing business. Now, some of these things are likely as a result of my inherent nature, because I do like to think that I am fairly intentional in my approaches to things, and I like to think things out a bit and be strategic whenever possible. However, I also need to give a huge shout out to this awesome furniture refinishing community, especially over on Instagram. This is where I really did first start feeling the passion for this work. Like I've mentioned in my origin story in episode one, and if this is the first episode that you're tuning into, I definitely recommend you go back and listen to that one to get an idea of how and when I got into this business, just for some context. And while I can't specifically think back to a certain person or a certain instance, I know that a lot of these tips were created by just seeing the approaches that other furniture finishers took with their work, the systems that they set up, and then sharing them and sharing that knowledge through their Instagram stories or posts or reels, and just when chatting with them in their DMs. So a big, 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 big thank you if you are one of those people who continues to share, to educate, and to avoid gatekeeping information. Because I'm truly of the belief that there is enough room in this industry or this sector or whatever you want to call it. It's community over competition. Let me repeat that, community over competition. And we can all succeed simultaneously and lift each other up. Let's lift each other up. And if you don't think that's possible and think it's important to keep everything to yourself and just grind away in solitude, well, I just think that that's going to get very lonely at the top. So I would encourage you to maybe reevaluate that. Okay, but stepping off of my soapbox now and jumping into the first thing that I am grateful that I did at the beginning of my furniture refinishing business, and that is putting thought into the name of my business and the brand from the beginning. I do think this one is a bit of a nice to do and not a need to do, but I do think it's really helpful long term. So what's funny is that when I first was starting out and creating my Mel Did It Herself Instagram account, it was at a time where I had started doing some very, very simple DIY upgrades around my house. 
um, to things like the home decor, like spray painting curtain rods and vases and stuff like that. And I was basically enjoying posting about it all, but I knew that my friends and family might end up getting annoyed with it happening literally constantly on my personal account. So I decided to make a separate one to connect with folks who really enjoy that kind of stuff and seek it out online. But I hadn't done any furniture refinishing projects at that point, and I certainly didn't know that it was going to turn into a business for me one day. And yet, I still took the time to step back and think, what's a handle that will cast a wide enough net that I could take this in different directions down the road? I wanted to be able to include anything and everything that interested me, which has turned into my content, including not only those home decor and DIY things, but furniture refinishing, thrifting, life hacks, recipe sharing, outfit styling, and other lifestyle content. And I landed on Mel Did It Herself, a handle and a brand name that I really do still love today. And I also got some really great feedback, um, like roughly late last year, so 2021, uh, when I was trying to tackle some of my branding and I turned to my Instagram community for some help. And then a couple different people, when asked what they think of Mel Did It Herself, like what comes to mind, said that they were always able to easily remember my account name and the person behind it, instead of having to remember which combination of furniture, refinishing, or restoration that my account name was made up of. And that's absolutely not to diss anyone with handles like that. Because to be quite honest, there was a time right around that time that I'm speaking about that I had debated whether I should change my name to something that sounded like a more professional name that reflected the service that I was offering within the name itself. And ultimately, it is what I end up doing with this podcast name, just to make it easier for people to search for if they're interested in furniture refinishing. But getting that feedback from the people in my community who follow me and and know me, I was able to stop and to reflect that Mel did it herself is, yes, a business offering furniture refinishing services, but also a brand with a content creator behind it. And I do think it adds a touch of making it a little bit more personal, knowing the name of the person you're supporting every time you purchase a piece from me or consume the content that I'm putting out into the world. Although I will admit, uh, most people get my full name wrong when they come to meet me in person, like if I'm doing a custom or something. But I did kind of go with Mel intentionally to add a layer of attempted privacy between me and my business and my personal life. So all that to say, it's worth taking the time at the forefront to think of these kinds of things. You don't necessarily need to keep it so high level, but take the time to have some foresight of what, in a perfect world, the brand could become. But, and a big but, at the same time, if you are someone who tends to overthink things and overplan, and if you are one of those people, you will know that I'm talking to you right now, so listen up. Avoid paralysis by analysis and don't spend too much time on this piece because ultimately you can absolutely change this down the road and it really isn't a huge deal. So don't get caught up on that and have it be the reason that you don't take that next step. And once you land on something, it also doesn't hurt to do a quick search on social media and websites just to see if the handle and the URL is already taken and as well as the email address. Because ideally for simplicity and so that people can remember them easily, you want them all to be the same wherever possible. The second thing that I'm happy I started right from the beginning of my business and even just at the beginning of starting my hobby of refinishing furniture in general is a system for organizing my products and all of the tools, accessories, and tidbits that are used for this work. 
Those who know me know that I love a good organization system, and it truly brings me great joy to be able to help friends organize or declutter and create systems in their spaces. So this was just something that I innately started. But if you're someone that does not have that inclination naturally, I would recommend being intentional with this from the beginning, even when you just have a few products at first. And there's a couple reasons for this. First and foremost, time is money and you want to be able to have a good, quick understanding of where everything is that you need so you don't need to spend needless time looking around for anything when you're working on a project or you're wanting to start working on it. If you're just putzing around and trying to find the stain you need, your paintbrush, your tape measure, or your screwdriver, there's the chance that you'll just get annoyed or discouraged and frustrated that you can't find it, you'll lose your motivation to work on the project and give up. Or, best case scenario, you're just wasting your time looking for it, and I know that you all have busy lives, and the time that you do have, or that you intentionally make, to work on projects is important. So set yourself up for success from the beginning and implement these organization systems early. And these systems will, quite honestly, probably look completely different from person to person because it needs to be set up in a way that makes sense for you and for your brain. So you know exactly where you need to go when you're looking for a certain product or tool or whatever. So keep that in mind, but I will tell you what I did and what I continue to do for my systems, but feel free to tailor it to whatever feels right for you. So I have two primary spaces that I keep my products and tools that I use for furniture refinishing. Number one, in the garage, which is where I work on pieces most of the time, as long as the Canadian weather allows at least, though I do get forced into the living room eventually when the winter temperatures sink low enough that painting out there is no longer feasible. But that's just Canadian problems, hashtag Canadian problems. And in our storage room in the basement is where I also keep things, which is kind of like an under the stairs storage room mixed with our laundry room and now mixed with all Mel did it herself things room. So in the storage room, I bought some shelves from Canadian Tire when they went on sale and I started out with like one individual four tier shelving unit and that has now grown to three of them over time. If you're interested, I will link the ones that I use in the show notes of this episode, but any storage solution or shelving unit will work. And so I have one of them for paints and finishes, and then two of them on the other side of the room hold all of the extra decor items that I have for staging and just kind of for around the house in general too. But ultimately I have it all sitting out and essentially set up like a store so that when I go to stage a refinished item, I can browse what I have and see what fits the vibe and just pull from it. I used to have totes or boxes that I use for all this decor and I would tuck it away under the stairs which was great looked tidy and it was like all organized under there but my memory is absolute dog shit so I would never remember what I had so it would be hard to think of things for staging ideas and I found that I was doing a lot of the same stuff over and over again which was fine ultimately and it looked fine but then like a month later I would end up going through the boxes if I was changing some decor over when the seasons changed or whatever around the house and I would see something that I had completely forgotten that I had and that would have worked perfectly for photos on a piece that I sold weeks before so really it's not that big of a deal and I absolutely recognize that not everyone has the privilege to have the space to set something up like that but if you do I really recommend it because it's a great way to have a visual representation a visual look at all of your options and I find it really helps me to be a little bit more creative with my combinations when I'm staging. 
And if I'm being honest, we wouldn't have used that space in this unfinished laundry slash storage room otherwise, so might as well make it useful, right? So within these shelving units, I have different categories too, like a shelf with all candles, a shelf with all photos and frames, a shelf with all wood decor elements and things like cute charcuterie boards and stuff like that, and then a shelf with all brass and gold accents like candlestick holders, little brass knickknacks and all that stuff, and then a shelf with faux foliage and plants and greenery. Organize it however it makes sense for you. Maybe you're more of a color coordinating type of organizer instead of an organizer by category, but if you can lay it out, I highly recommend. I also try and do a little inventory sweep periodically of these shelves, particularly if I'm ever bringing new items in, like after I go to a thrift store, if I find any cool vintage additions, I'll take a look and see if there's anything that I can swap it out for that I'm no longer liking or isn't serving me or the business. And I do this essentially so I don't go into full hoarder status, which I think that I could have a tendency to lean towards if I'm not intentional in this way. So it's great. And then I can, whenever I'm taking out, I can sell it or I can, you know, give it to a thrift store and maybe get a coupon the next time I'm going thrifting. So it kind of all feeds back into the business in one way or another. So anyway, then on the other shelving unit that I have in the other corner of the room, I keep all of my paints and finishes like stains, top coats, and then random things like glazes, waxes, oils, and all that good stuff. Again, organize it in a way that makes sense for you. Do it by color, by brand, whatever. So then I do have some other miscellaneous storage solutions that probably aren't what will remain long-term for them, but um, they've been working in the meantime because this room is unfinished and it's a bit of an eyesore, so I don't mind it looking like a bit of organized chaos. There's a cabinet that was actually already built into the room that's beside the paint shelving unit and it's enclosed with doors. So this is where I keep my spray paint and any other like aerosol products that I have, such as uh, WD-40 or spray adhesive. And I'm not sure if this is because it's already enclosed, but when I open it up, there is a bit of an odor. So I do like that there are doors to close it off, though maybe if they were out in the open, it wouldn't stink anyways, but I don't know, maybe I should read the label. So then under that cabinet, there's another built-in shelf. So on and under that on the floor, I have some clear containers that I think I also got from Canadian Tire and they have smaller tools and just bits and bobs in them. And I not only categorize these items by different containers, but I also use my handy dandy label maker. Side note, if you don't have a label maker, you truly don't know what happiness feels like. And I will fight anyone who tries to convince me otherwise. So the labels that I have on these containers are painting, sanding, hanging, which is things like anchors and screws and levels for when I need to hang something up in the house, staining, and office supplies. And that last one has pens, um, my thank you cards, my maker's mark stamp, little baggies, small containers, and then things like stapler, whiteout, highlighters, whatever. The other space that I have things is the garage, which is where I store things that I use most often and that won't get affected by the elements, like paintbrushes, sanding paper, stir sticks, screwdrivers, and other random things. What I mean by getting affected by the elements, because it is an enclosed room, um, but it doesn't have temperature control. So things like finishes and paints and stuff in the winter would not survive out there. So it's just like the smaller day-to-day things that um, don't get affected by the weather. Plus all of my furniture inventory is out there, which takes up, you know, more space than I would like to admit. So I do keep the majority of my products and tools also downstairs. A reminder if you're in Canada that 
any tools that you have that have batteries in them should not be outside in the winter because that will ruin them. And I also just want to note, I didn't go down into the storage room once when I was trying to to describe this setup to remind me of how it's made up or where things are. It's just that ingrained in my brain where I can find these things. And that's what I want for you. Whatever system works for you, have a place for everything so you can find it quickly and easily. And then the key is consistency with keeping it in that system and maintaining the organization of it long term. Start this early because the longer you wait, the more shit you're going to have to organize and the longer it will take. Trust me on that. And I also have a YouTube video of me taking this room from being a fucking disaster to organizing these systems into place. So if you are interested in checking that out, I will link it in the show notes. And as a quick aside, remember that we can't all be 100% perfect 100% of the time. So set up your systems, do your best to upkeep them. But if there's times when you just, you're rushed and you rush out of the workshop and you can't put things away in their spot right away, don't beat yourself up over it. Just be aware of how your workspace is looking and when you see it getting cluttered or you notice that you have things that are sitting out that are from projects you've already completed so you won't need them again for a bit, take the five minutes to clean these things up and put them away in their proper place, organized and tidy, and do it right the first time. The next thing that I'm glad I started from the beginning of my furniture refinishing business is a tool to keep track of my expenses and income and then all of the exciting tax stuff that I know everybody absolutely loves. And that is sarcasm, but really it is a necessary evil to think about and it's better, again, to figure out what works best for you early and then when you find something you like, get consistent and stick with it. I use an accounting software app for this that's called QuickBooks Self-Employed. There is just a normal QuickBooks available too, but the main difference between the two is that the self-employed version is designed for independent contractors and the other one is for small businesses. So if you're an independent contractor and need to separate your business and personal expenses, they recommend the self-employed version, but otherwise you can just use the QuickBooks online and I believe they have plans called Plus essentials, and then simple start. I wasn't 100% sure which direction that I wanted to take with Mel did it herself when registering my business, and quite honestly, I don't even know if I quite have my finger on it yet, but I chose the self-employed route, and it's been meeting my needs up until this point, and I find the interface is really user-friendly in the app. So it allows you to easily track your expenses by uploading receipts directly into the app, categorizing them accordingly, keeping track of your business income and tracking your mileage. You can manually input your trips for your mileage to track it, or you can turn on an auto track feature, and then you go in and categorize whether the trips that you made were for personal or business use. You can also create invoices to send to clients directly in the app and store your clients or vendors in there. And the best part is that at tax time, since you have been tracking and categorizing expenses throughout the year, it already has everything set up and ready to go to either provide to your or accountant, or if you submit your taxes yourself, it makes it incredibly quick and easy. This past year was the first time that I had to submit my taxes for my business, and I'm not going to lie, I was stressing quite a bit, and it ended up being way quicker and easier than I had made it out to be in my mind. I found this to be such a useful tool for me and my business that I reached out to QuickBooks and I got a referral code that you can use if you're planning on trying it out. It is a paid app, but I do feel like it's worth it for the peace of mind of knowing that everything is organized, inputted correctly, and that I won't need to stress at tax time. The regular self-employed plan is $15 per month, but if you want to save 55% off of your first three months, you can go to quickbooks.grsm.io slash it herself. And there will be a link in this episode's show notes if you want to give it a go. 
but whatever avenue or platform that you decide to use, use this as your reminder to start tracking those expenses because let me tell you, they add up. Along the same lines, the third thing that I'm glad I started from the beginning of my furniture refinishing business is to track product and project costs. So what this looks like for me is that I have an Excel spreadsheet that has a sheet called sales slash profits and a sheet called supplies slash expenses. In the sales and profit sheet, I keep track of each project that I do, which includes a brief description of the furniture piece and where I got it, the initial cost of the item, the items or products used to upcycle it with a rough estimate of how much it costs for each of those. So for example, if I knew that a jar of fusion mineral paint cost $28 Canadian and I used about a third of the jar for the project, I would indicate that the paint cost roughly $9.30 and then also include how much top coat or primer were used and the cost of any new hardware, things like that. Then I would track the price that I sold the item at as well as how much profit I made by adding up the initial cost of the item, the total of the products used, and then subtract that total from the price that I sold it at. One thing to note is that I do not track the amount of time or hours that I put into transforming the piece. So you might wanna include that for yourself if you wanna get a clearer idea of just how much profit you came away with after paying yourself an hourly rate. Then on the supplies and expenses sheet, I keep track of any products, supplies, hardware, any items I purchase to use in the business and on projects. This serves the purpose of helping me fill in the part of the sales and profit sheet where I outline the price of the items used in the project and also helps me to be strategic with where I purchase these products to get the best price as I move forward. On this sheet, I keep track of things like the item that I buy, so its name and its brand name, the price that I got it at, the size of the item, so if it's a 500 milliliter container of paint or one quart of paint, and the store that I bought it at. And again, I try to keep this updated continually, which really isn't a lot of work now that I have the system set up, since for the most part, I have my go-to retailers that I frequent. So unless something is on sale or there's a huge jump in price or whatever, I'm typically getting things for relatively the same price each time. But having it set up like this lets me take a look at it when I do need something and determine, for example, whether it was cheaper to get it at Home Depot versus at Lowe's. Because in doing the system, I came to realize that there is a fairly drastic price difference for some items depending where you get them from. So start paying attention to this stuff too, because again, those expenses can really add up over time. This page of the spreadsheet is also really helpful in keeping track of hardware costs, so I can factor those additions into the cost of a project. There's times when I'm at somewhere like HomeSense and I come across some really unique knobs or pulls that I know will look great on a certain style of furniture piece that I can do in the future, so I grab them because if you are a fan of HomeSense, you have likely learned your lesson that if you see it, you need to grab it or else it will absolutely not be there when you decide to go back and grab it, even if that's like 20 minutes later. It just is how it always is. So sometimes I'll grab that pack of hardware and then there's two things that could happen. I might put it in my stash and not use it for a really long time. So I might end up taking it out of the packaging to save space, which will then get rid of the price tag. Or I might use a couple of them and then have a few left over. And then again, I'm getting rid of the packaging. So having the total cost of the hardware detailed in the spreadsheet helps me to figure out the cost per unit of the hardware when I do finally use it on a project. And this doesn't need to be anything complex or fancy, like keeping track of measurements and specific names of the items. It can be if you want it to be, or if your brain works better that way. But honestly, I'll often just have things called 
diamondy modern home sense knobs or boho rattan vintage pulls winners written on there. And as long as it makes sense to me, I'm good to go. So don't worry about overthinking it too much, but I do recommend taking the time to track it. And the last thing that I'm glad I started doing from the beginning of my furniture refinishing business is maybe the most important one. I made the intentional move to not set high expectations for myself and gave myself permission to not have anything set in stone, especially at the beginning. I don't know about you, but my background in education and in employment is mostly in the social sciences and social work field, and they teach you a total of zero things about business in these spaces. I started with literally no exaggeration, no actual knowledge about business and running social media other than my own personal accounts and marketing and the legalities of everything and taxes and all of those things. I knew how to work with people, which I do think is an important transferable skill, but everything else I knew I was going to have to seek out to learn. And as a lifelong learner and busy bee, I knew that I could do that, but I also knew that if I made it to be too big too fast in my head, I would likely shut down and just get overwhelmed and not want to pursue it long term. So I told myself that I always wanted to enjoy furniture refinishing, the art and the practice of actually doing it, but the business side of it too. And I didn't want it to turn from a hobby that I really loved to something that I avoided or resented because of the expectations tied to it. Expectations that would have existed in my head and in my head only. Let me repeat that. If you're multitasking, come back to me. Any expectations that exist or you perceive to exist, exist only in your head and your assumptions about what is happening in other people's head. You're in the driver's seat, so feel free to implement whatever boundaries, whatever support systems, whatever values, and whatever tendencies that you need to make this feel right for you, to make this feel good for you, to make you keep this passion that I know that you have in you flowing for the long haul. And what did not setting high expectations for myself look like? For me, it meant working on furniture every single day that my schedule allowed. But that didn't mean working all day every day on it or saying, if I don't do this for three hours and work on a piece every day, I'm a failure. It just meant showing up in that space, whatever that looked like. Some days I did put in hours and hours worth of work, but some days I just put on a coat of polyurethane on a small side table and called it a day. Sometimes it just meant showing up in the garage in my workspace and not even necessarily working on furniture, but reorganizing the space and sweeping the floor and getting the space into better working order for me when I showed up the next day. And what this did was remove the expectations or requirements of it and didn't rely on motivation to do it. It was consistency. So it just turned into a habit over time. And now I don't even need to think about having to or needing to work on furniture. I just do it. I know what parts of my day I can fit it into, And if I'm out of the house running around doing things all day and can't physically work on it, I'll try to hop onto Instagram and engage with my followers or share about my day because that all contributes to the overall goal. But I do it because I want to and because I like to, not because I have to or I need to. And that little shift in my brain is really what I think has contributed to me keeping up with this for well over two years now and still feeling really passionate, really excited and really positive feelings associated with it every day. So those are the five things that I'm so thankful that the old version of Mel implemented at the beginning of this furniture refinishing business. And I hope if they are things that you haven't yet done, you'll explore and see if they work for you. 
but I know there's so much more and I want to hear it. So help me out and head over to my Instagram at Mel did it herself and find the post about episode number three and leave me a comment letting me know what you have implemented in your business that you are so glad that you started from the beginning. And this can be in any type of business or service. So don't be shy if you aren't a furniture painter or refinisher. I've gotten some of these tips from other industries and translated them into my world, which I think is the best way to learn and grow. Take what you need and leave the rest. So head over to Instagram after this episode and let's chat all things business. And I'm happy to answer any questions that might have come to mind while you listen to these tips. And something you may not know about me, I love little motivational messages. They literally always get me fired up and I keep a running list of ones that are especially catchy or speak to me in the notes app on my phone. So I'm going to end every podcast episode with one of these that I've noted down over the years in hopes that you can leave our time here each week feeling inspired, motivated, and ready to take on whatever comes your way this week. So this week's Mel's motivational message is, you do not rise to the level of your goals you fall to the level of your systems. This message comes from the book Atomic Habits by James Clear. And if you haven't already read this book, I think it is one that anybody would find beneficial in so many areas of their life. Again, that's Atomic Habits by James Clear. So ultimately, remember that systems matter, that they lead us to our goals that we set. And at the end of the day, we can only be as good as the systems that we set up to help us succeed. So take the time, do an audit of your approaches to things, whether it be in your business, in getting your chores done around the house, or in your personal goals that you set for yourself every year. You do not rise to the level of your goals, but rather fall to the level of your systems. If you are enjoying this podcast so far, I would love it if you would go over to the podcast page on whatever platform you're listening to today and leave me a review, preferably five stars, but I'll leave that part up to you because that will help get this pushed out to more people to discover and join us on this furniture refinishing ride. All right, that's it for now. I appreciate your time and I'll catch you guys next week.